Hello and welcome to the CA Catalyst podcast, Small Firm Big Impact. I'm your host, John Skoll, CEO at Mount McLean. In this episode of Small Firm Big Impact, we're going to take a look at operations, specifically client impact. We'll investigate tried and tested methods that will help you learn how to make your client fall in love with you in the business sense. In this discussion, we'll cover what it is that clients need from you now more than ever, the tools and technology that can enhance the relationships you have, and how to best communicate and strengthen your relationships without the need for roses and wine. And you'll also hear some fantastic tips about how to manage clients in distress, as well as how to find that balance between caring for your client and your own business. To sum it up, we've got you covered. With me to share their advice and tools of the trade is Stacey Price, founder, accountant, and self-confessed chief numbers nerd at Healthy Business Finances, and Mark Jenkins, founder of The Gap and a thought leader in the accounting industry that is really turning attention into action for accountants across the world. First question is to you, Mark. Can you please share with us your journey, the move from practitioner to thought leader? First up, John, I'm a humble accountant from Whakatane, and I'm not swearing when I say that. I'm not sure that I'm a thought leader, but certainly someone who's spent a lot of time in the industry. And I guess for me, the main transition was out of a desire to give more to small business owners. And right now, we know small business owners need a huge amount of help. And I thought that if I worked with accountants, then I could help them influence more small businesses. So that was the big driver for me. My accounting firm that I'd had for 17 years had served me really well. And I enjoyed that journey, but I really wanted to be able to leverage that through to more small business owners and saw the gap as a great way to do that. Could you just talk to us a little bit about the core purpose of The Gap and how that fits in with the accounting industry? Our core purpose is accelerating small business success. And so we are very much seeing ourselves as in the background, facilitating chartered accountants to help their clients to achieve success. And and of course, success could mean survival at the moment. It could mean knowing what their minimum viable sales number is right now. could be making a plan or a business recovery plan to get them through however long this difficult situation we're in stays for. We know that accountants have that trusted relationship with so many small clients, small business clients, and we want to empower those accountants to be able to offer more value add. Stacey, you spend a lot of time training, educating and empowering business owners on their numbers and their systems. Can you tell me a little bit more about the pathway to where you got to now? Yeah, sure. So when I started my business, it it probably wasn't even on my radar to start my business. I'd always worked in finance, but I was on maternity leave and I was surrounded by a lot of other women also on maternity leave who wanted to start their own business and had some great ideas and concepts, but they kept peppering me with accounting related questions or how do I set up software and, and when is the right time to pay myself and how do I work out my sales price and my margin? And those questions came quite naturally to me to answer. And it was only after being peppered several hundred times that I thought, hang on a minute, this is a service that a lot of people need, but there's a bit of a gap in the market between their expectation of what the accountant provides, which is generally an end of year tax return, and being able to gain that knowledge to run their business really well. And it was only after I had a few of my really close friends say to me, my accountant has told me this. Can you interpret that for me? Because I don't understand what they're saying. And 
They would come back to me and say, you just explain it in plain English. Why can't my accountant do that? And I'm like, I don't know. But it seemed that there was a massive gap between the training and education side and the tax compliance side, which was what those clients had always associated with their accountant. So clients see their relationship with their accountants as trusted. Are you seeing that change with COVID-19, Stacey? I am. And I think it's really brought close to home just how involved we are with a lot of our clients. We have clients Australia-wide. And I still remember the day back in March when gyms were forced to close and we had about six gyms separately on our books and I rang every single one of them on that day and every single phone call ended in tears. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know who to turn to. They didn't know how to navigate what was going on in the economy, in their business, with government incentives. And I guess it really brought home that I was the person they wanted to ask those questions to, and I was the person that they trusted to give them the navigation tools to understand what was going on and what they needed to think about. Obviously, there's a lot of things going on. There's been a lot of contact from clients who potentially we would only contact once every three months to do compliance work. And I think now more than ever, they're understanding that we are that person that they can ring for other factors as well. And Mark, you're working with a lot of chartered accounting firms. Who do you think is driving this change? Is it the customer or is it the firm? We've got a polarisation of the industry going on here where there's quite a lot of frustration that I'm hearing amongst my friends who own businesses, but also the accountants that I'm speaking to, that when they're being approached by new clients, they're saying, look, my accountant hasn't even contacted me at all during this time. And I've seen that you're actively out there running webinars and events, and so I'd like to join your firm if that's okay. The driver is coming from both the within the accounting firms themselves, but also from the small business owners as well. And I just think that we are moving towards a new paradigm for connected small business owners with their proactive chartered accountants. I just think that's this is accelerating that change and it's bringing that forward. And we've got all the technology to be able to do that. We can do that online. We can do that face-to-face. We can do that via you know one-to-many with webinars. We can have closed Facebook groups. There's so many different ways that we can reach out and be connected with our clients right now. So I just think that the driver is actually the coming together of minds. We often refer to it at the gap as a closing of the disconnect that exists between that traditional accounting firm and the small business owner where the chartered accountant was a bit of a grudge purchase and something that they had to do but didn't necessarily want to do. And now they're realising that, wow, there's a lot of expertise here with the chartered accountant and I really want to connect with them at this time. And as clients do shop around looking for that modern accountant, looking for that new piece of advisory, do you think there's a right type of client that accountants should be looking for now as the phone rings more and more often? hey, look, there is so much work to be done out there. There are so many small business owners that need so much more than just the compliance work. They need to have a closer relationship uh, with their chartered accountant. Therefore, the chartered accountant, by definition, can't serve as many clients. So they need to be selective about the clients that they take on. And so if they take on those clients that meet their client selection criteria, and, and that might be a fit with their core values. It might be a fit with their core purpose. It might be, actually, they're just good, fun people. We want to work alongside them. Or it might be that they're 
their age demographic is the same. And so these are going to be clients for life. I think there's plenty of opportunity for us to be quite selective of who we work with and actually be quite open about who we refer on the clients to other accountants that might serve them better if they don't meet our selection criteria and be quite honest and open about that. Stacey, how do you deal with the lead that comes into your office? Strangely enough, most of those come from social media, which is not something most people would associate with accountants. But I've invested a lot of time to know that's where our ideal client is and that's where our target market is. They're young entrepreneurs, they're startups, they're tech savvy, they're already on social media with their own business. So if they had to pick up the phone and ring me, they probably wouldn't do it. So they will send me a message on Facebook or Instagram. We're a little bit obscure in that way that we don't have someone in a reception desk waiting for the phone to call. We have people sitting in the back end of Facebook and Instagram seeing what messages come in. Now, we are rather tech savvy in our firm. So we have a Trello board of any new leads that we get and we move them along that Trello board based on whether we have allocated them a 15 minute chat to understand their needs, whether we then need to send an engagement letter, whether we then haven't heard from them and whether we need to catch up with them how they contacted us, because we know probably that's how they want to be contacted in return. So we move them through this Trello board to really understand where they are at in the process and who or what needs to happen to follow those up. And do you have any particular criteria for those clients? When I first started my business and I did a lot of research into marketing and branding and your ideal client persona and everything I read or saw said that you had to envisage your ideal client standing in front of you and what do they look like and was it male or female and what age were they and where did they live? And I thought, you know what, we can service clients around the whole of Australia. So why does any of that actually matter? None of that matters to me. I've got a client in their 20s, which is half my age, and I've got a client who's in his 80s, um, who's a treasurer of, of his local church. Both of those clients are amazing. Their age, their sex, where they live has got nothing to do with whether or not they're my ideal client. So we base it on personality traits. So we need someone that is willing to learn. We need someone that is willing to understand the rules. We need someone to abide by the rules. We need someone to respect our time. We need someone to um, have faith in our team. So it's more about those touchy-feely qualities that we look for. And usually we can assess that either via a phone chat or the way that they reach out to us and what they're asking for. Generally, if their first question is, what is your fee? We know that they're not the ideal client for us because we know we're forever going to be having to justify our value. Whereas we want someone that we can work with long term, that we know we're going to get along with and will understand why we do the things that we do. And so for a lot of listeners, this is the first time they're probably hearing about a client persona or having a checklist to go through for the ideal client or the sort of mindset that you're looking for people to work with. How would you say no to a client that rings up wanting to engage with your team? I think at the end of the day, you have to be confident that you cannot please everyone. And trying to please the wrong people will damage the relationships that you have with the good clients, the ones that you don't want to lose or have damaged relationships with your staff. So I guess for us, it's about understanding what we can provide and we have certain services we know we would offer clients. And if we don't feel that we could offer those, 
then we can either suggest an alternative or we can suggest that they need to go and speak to another tax agent, whether that's locally if they need one-on-one help. We have some clients that refuse to use Zoom, for example. So if they are not willing to use Zoom and expect me to travel two hours to train them, it's probably not going to be the right fit. But I guess when we say no, we give them an alternative. So we're not saying no, please leave. We're saying, look, we don't think we're the right fit, but we can make some suggestions if you would like of someone who can provide that service. So we're not closing the door on that potential client because we don't know what will happen in the future, but we're just gracefully saying it's just not the right time to work with us. For the listeners, one of the important things that we're always thinking about is how we price for customers and how do we price new customers versus our existing customers. And a lot of the time, people wanting to exit their clients perhaps might just increase the prices of the <laughs> until they leave. Do you think there's a better way to, first of all, do that? And second of all, how do we reassess what the lifetime value of a customer is? There's two issues here with the pricing. One is the fact that often there are different prices within the firm based on the confidence levels of the individuals who are doing the pricing. So I think what's really important to do is to have an internal price list uh, that's agreed amongst everybody and making sure that there's consistency in the way that's applied across the client base. I don't believe there should be ever a situation where one client talks to another one at at the pub. We don't want them to say, I did a business recovery plan with my accountant, it cost me 4,000. And the other one says, I'm with the same firm, they only charged me 2,000. Consistent pricing across the business is super important. Doesn't matter what the client is, the price should be the same. Having said that, I think the project work that comes out where we're looking at maybe some value pricing, and that's bespoke, that's individually tailored for that particular client, that's when you can have some variation in your pricing. But but I don't believe that you price clients to make them leave. If you don't enjoy working with them, if they don't meet your client selection criteria, you owe it to them and yourself and your team to open that door of opportunities. It'll be better for them. They'll be better served by somebody else. And one of my favorite sayings, what you can say yes to is defined by what you say no to. So you've got to start saying no to some clients prospective clients and existing clients so that you can say yes to the ones that you really want to work with. Stacey, what strategies and tools do you use to make the onboarding process as smooth as possible once you've generated that lead and assessed that they're going to be great clients to work with? Yeah, so most of our work is all done remotely and all of our team is also remote. So we need to keep that in mind when we take on any client because we don't have a folder in the office that everyone can look at and follow a process. So we need to have that in an online space so that no matter who speaks to a potential client, they all know what needs to be said or what information we need to request or what documents we need to request or send out. Again, we have a Trello board with all of our standard emails that would go out depending on whether they're asking for BAS services, payroll services, whether they're asking about end of financial year, any of those things. We have some standard responses. Now, Obviously, we don't just cut and paste and every client is different. So we do customise it, but we need to have a starting point so that whenever somebody receives something from us, it always sounds like it's coming from us and it's not different depending on who is sending that information. For us, everything is online. So all of our team can see it at any time. And we're a pretty open book internally. 
So we're a small team. There's only four of us. But I believe that all four of us should be able to access any of that information. It's not a secret what I charge to those clients. It's not a secret what work we do. So I feel everyone needs to be able to access what we need to do and when we need to do it. So for a lot of our listeners, the fact that you're working remotely, you're not working with your team side by side, how do you manage the ongoing relationships with clients? We've worked remotely for seven years since my business started and I've never had any of our staff work next to me. So I guess it's something that I'm just used to. Even from seven years ago, when I started my business, we mainly used Skype back then. I didn't know Zoom existed. So we would have meetings on Skype. We would screen share. We would solve their problems. And it still allowed that face-to-face contact. We would have Skype sessions with clients in Sydney, Queensland. We have clients in Perth, And it felt like we were connecting with them, even though to this day I've had clients I've had for four years that I have never met in real life. But I can tell you their kids' names. I can tell you everything about them because we do catch up virtually and we see each other in that way. So being able to use video was a big thing for us early on. And another one we have used recently is Slack, which is an online messenger type platform. We use it internally for our business, but recently we have invited clients into a client thread inside Slack. The beauty of Slack is it's instant questions and instant responses. So in the past, we would email a client and often it would take a week to get a response back or they'd send back the bank statement, it was the wrong one, or we'd request something else and it was the wrong one. So we can get on Slack and say, hey, Mary, I haven't got that statement. And that's the entire conversation. Whereas with email, it will probably take me 10 minutes to write that email. And in the time on Slack, we have got the file uploaded, the clients responded, and we've finished whatever it is we're waiting on. Sounds like you're really utilising technology and getting really smart about how to communicate with clients in a really easy to manage way. So Mark, let's just say we're sitting in an office and we're, or maybe we're online virtually. What are the discovery questions we should be asking our clients to try and get inside their heads, get inside their business and understand what they really need? The easiest way to do this is to think about maybe a, a model or a trigger that you can use. Um, and, and the best one that I've found is the now, where, how mindset. And so we're just saying, where are you at now? Right now, we look at some of Stacey's clients. I'm with a, with a traditional accountant. They communicate with me. It takes two weeks. Where would I like to be? I'd like to be able to get an instant answer to my question. And so how do we do that? We just need to join Stacey's firm. That's the how. (laughs) So I think what's really important with now where how put another way is to say, right now, this is your financial position. This is what your annual accounts are are showing or the management accounts. We've just done your BAS. We've just done your GST. What did you dream it would be like? You're in business. What did you think you'd be earning? What hours did you think you'd be working? What role did you think you would have? And what's the reality for you right now? And then it's, where would you like it to be? Okay, when you started off in business, you had some dreams and the reality is it's a lot harder, but where would you like to be? And what are the problems and challenges that you have in the way right now? It always starts with the now. Where are you at now? Where would you like to be? And that's personal and business. So, you know, the hours of work, the time with your family, those sorts of things, and the role and what holidays you'd like to have. So that's that future position. 
And then the how-to, and I, and I loop back to what Stacey was saying earlier as well, I don't think clients necessarily know what the accountant can offer them. And so it's a bit of a discovery meeting. It's a bit of an opportunity to to say, look, if I could help you to increase your cash flow by $10,000, would you like to have a meeting with me to talk about that? Or if we could lift your GP by 2%, that's going to put 20 grand on your bottom line. Yeah. Is that something that you'd like us to work together on? Great mindset for our yeah. listeners out there. So the now we're how is a great way, but another one is the is the formula for change. And so the formula for change talks about dissatisfaction times a vision plus first steps being the F. It's got to be greater than the resistance. So if we think about the resistance they might have right now is they might have a bit of resistance to working with you or, or a bit of resistance to spending a little bit more money. If they don't do anything, they're going to keep getting what they've always got or less. So heighten that dissatisfaction, help them to see that if they keep going on the way they're going with COVID-19 and all the changes happening, they need to do something different. So help them to see that they're not going to get there by doing nothing. And then give them the vision. That's the second piece. Give them the vision of what's possible. You know, improve that cash flow by 10 grand, improve by improving the debtor days, or improve the margin by two or three percent, or get more aware of how they're spending their time so they can free up their time to be with their family more. And then make the first steps very easy. Let's just have one meeting. I was talking to a client about having one meeting, $250 to identify how they could free up that 10 grand of cash or that or that yeah that that time and then have one meeting only to talk about that and then off the back of that meeting my last piece I'd suggest is bam bam book a meeting from a meeting at the end of that meeting so how would you like to make sure that we keep improving your business in this way is this something you'd like to do more how about we book in the next session in a month's time or, or two months' time to see how you're going. Because best laid intentions, your clients are going to want to do things you know, at that meeting. They can see they've got an action list, but they get back to work, they're busy, they've got lots of distractions, and for whatever reason, things just don't get done. And so you having that check-in call with them, that check-in meeting to keep in touch with your clients, that makes sure that they do the things that they've chosen are the most important for them to make a difference in their business. Another great question I like to like to have, and there was an expert thought leader accountant um, called John Skoll who taught me this one once, which was, um, do you know the minimum weekly sales figure you need in order to survive this crisis that we're in right now? Such a powerful question. And thank you very much, Mark. The evolution of clients is something that as accountants, we probably don't spend enough time on where they are now and where they want to get to. But Stacey, I'm really interested to know when these new clients ring you up for the first time, they probably don't realise the technology or the level of technology that they're going to be using with you. Do you have clients that actually say, no, we can't use that technology or don't want to use that technology? Or are you able to convince them of the value of using the technology and working with you in a different way? We always like to give clients options, even if it's potentially not the option we would choose, but we would always choose virtual first. However, we know that everybody learns in different ways. So I think it's about understanding if they're choosing no to a certain type of service that we offer that is potentially virtual, why are they choosing no? And if it's because they learn better in a different way, 
then we would offer an alternative session, whether that's online, in person, in a group. We often do screen recording videos and send them the video so they can watch the video and make notes separately. Sometimes we have people that say no just because they don't know what Zoom is. They say, oh, I can't do that. I don't have Zoom. So then it's more about an education piece just to say, Zoom's not scary. It's actually really nice. We get to see each other. It's like we're chatting in a cafe. It's just I'm not physically there. We do have a lot of older clients as well who perhaps aren't as tech savvy. Recently, I had a a gentleman in his 60s and I said, we can Zoom on Friday, Keith. That'd be amazing. He's like, what is this Zoom that you talk about? And I said, we can see each other. And he was a client that I did go to see in person just because of the nature of his business. And so he really missed that one-on-one contact with me. And now every Friday we have a Zoom in the morning to see what he needs to do and where he's at. And he thinks it's the best thing ever. And he's now got some of his friends on Zoom and he was so proud of himself for doing that. But I think it's just about understanding if somebody says no, it's not that they don't want your help or your service. Perhaps they just need it in a different way. So if we turn our attention to client retention and relationship management, Mark, you're involved with the gap and you essentially template a lot of services for accounting firms to follow. What sort of value-added services would you recommend that they start with if they're looking to begin the journey towards offering a different sort of service to their clients? I think the most important thing is just to have a meeting, whether it's virtual or face-to-face, with clients. And and we talk about just the annual accounts review meeting, and, and I'm horrified to hear how many traditional accountants don't even meet with their clients to go through their annual accounts anymore. So start off with that annual accounts meeting, but make sure that you send out some pre-work and send the draft financial statements electronically out to the client. So start with some pre-work and and the pre-work might have some questions in there. And and this is the sort of content we've got in the gap. Questions like, what were the numbers that you wanted to achieve? How has the year been for you? What are some of the problems and challenges that you've got in the business right now? So all of our processes, and I recommend this for all of you, every time you have a meeting with a client, set an agenda, communicate that agenda to your client, what, what that agenda is, send some pre-work out, so pre-work about the annual accounts, and then have a systemized and structured process to go through those annual accounts. And so in there, you might demonstrate the value you've already provided. So talk about what you've done to save them some tax or what they've done during the year that's improved their return. And then start to look forward, look at client growth brainstorming. So we used to run sessions with our team and they'd look at the set of financial statements and say, right, where are the opportunities to add value here? What could we do with this client? And then let's open up that conversation during the annual accounts review meeting. So start off with a meeting where you're just talking about what's possible, a complimentary client review meeting. And and it's the same for prospective clients as well when they come in. Where are they wanting to go What are the problems and challenges in the way and how can you work together to get them there quicker? And then it's a matter of not trying to climb too far up the value ladder. So imagine a ladder and at the the top of the ladder is your premium service where every client gets an annual business plan, they get an annual forecast, they've got ongoing reporting with a regular accountability meeting. We call that the trifecta or the three essential tools for business success. That's the top of the value ladder. That might be $10,000 worth of fee for the year when you you add their annual accounts in as well. And so very difficult to sell at the top of that value ladder. 
So start at the bottom, you know, what the complimentary meeting. There's no charge. This is your investment in trying to understand your client better. And then off the back of that meeting, try to sell one meeting, one cash flow improvement meeting or one profit improvement meeting. And then off the back of that meeting, try to identify for the client the value of working with you in a more regular way. And eventually they will get to the top of that value ladder and they'll be doing those annual business plans and the annual forecast. And just one last thing I'd say about that is that one of our core values at The Gap is walk the talk. And we define that as uh, practicing what we teach. So if you don't do this yourself as an accountant, if you don't have your own annual business plan and you don't have your own annual forecast and you don't have some sort of accountability process and ongoing reporting, then you don't see the value in that enough to do it yourself. So if you try and sell that to your clients, you're telling them what to do without seeing the value yourself. And two things will happen there. One, you're not going to have a very good answer if they say to you, oh, well, do you do this? And the second thing is that you won't articulate the value well because you haven't got the experience of how much difference that makes for your own business when you do that. Really just start with more meetings, with better structure, focusing on the future and focusing on a small first step that somebody can take where you're going to add a lot of value and and really build that trust and confidence. Thanks a lot, Mark. I know Mallet McLean have been using the gap for over five years now and have been using that structured process. It's never an easy process to implement. It does take some work, but what it does do is set you up in a different way to think about clients, which I think is really important. There's a lot of value in being able to tell your customer that you're actually doing the same thing that they're doing, because what you're showing is that you're not trying to sell them a product, but you're actually trying to give them some help that you're actually receiving yourself. And I think showing a little bit of vulnerability and just shining a light into your own business and letting them see that you've got the same issues, that certainly goes a long way. Stacey, what sort of products and services are you offering to your clients that are perhaps different from your average accounting firm? The one thing that we offer, which is probably one of our biggest services that we offer in terms of our revenue generation, is the financial coaching And I guess this comes back to when I first started our business and we got all of those peppering of questions from people that didn't really understand tax office obligations and didn't understand payroll obligations and when things had to be lodged and why they had to be lodged. And what we found is people were waiting. They were waiting until tax time to ask those questions. And it was too late then. They'd already stuffed up payroll. Their GST was out the window. Their business name wasn't registered. There was all these steps that could have been prevented or prevented more headaches, I should say. I guess what we found was, why don't we charge for that service? This is a service that people are wanting on top of normal compliance, bookkeeping, BAS, tax return services. They want this as a one-off service. A lot of what we do in that startup space is They're not ready to commit to ongoing services at that stage, and that's okay. They're in our funnel. We provide them with the coaching they need, and we hope in three to six months when their business does grow, we are the person that they think of. The other thing that we offer that, again, people were asking for was training on their software. And a lot of the cloud accounting softwares do have online training videos to watch, but what we found is 
those videos are usually American voiceover based and they really used to irritate the clients because they didn't want to listen to them or they would listen to those training videos and still wouldn't understand how that actually related to their individual question that they had. So then they would ring us and said, can you just explain to me blah, 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 whatever that was? And I thought, yeah, sure. So we would record a screen video of us explaining that problem in their accounting software and send them a link to watch the video. And I just thought, oh, well, it's easier to do that than send an email with 27 steps of how to do ABC. I can just fix the problem, record the screen at the same time, send a link. Easy. And I didn't think anything of it. And clients would email back going, oh my God, that's like the best thing ever. Like I just watched your video. It's already fixed. And now I know how not to do it wrong next time. So for us, it's the training and coaching, which we didn't offer initially. We didn't think there was a market for it, but it probably makes up around 50% of our business. And do you measure your client satisfaction, Stacey? Because it sounds like a lot of your clients are moving to you or staying with you because they're extremely happy with what they're getting from you compared to perhaps a traditional firm. How do you measure that? We'd send out reviews and we probably don't send them out as frequently as we should to get that feedback. But what we're finding is, especially in the last six months with everything else that is going on, they're naturally sending us that feedback without us having to ask. We have a bit of a process in terms of we take that snippet, usually via email, when somebody responds to something and we'll put it in our Trello board and we use that as a testimonial that we then post on social media. My staff have direct contact with our clients and I think most of the time the clients are saying that feedback to the staff, not to me as the business owner. They're saying that they've loved working with Christine or Karen or thanks Kylie for sorting out that grant application. So we do have a formal process probably once a year, but as I said, most times now it's coming organically back to us because we've initiated something that they weren't aware of. Stacey, you're communicating with your clients in so many different ways. Are you using a CRM system to follow up and just keep a track of who says what to who, when and what you're waiting for? We do use a CRM. And again, it's not something I'm an expert on, but we do it all in-house, me and the office manager. I don't think we need to complicate these things. When we're looking at a CRM, sometimes we get so involved in the technology at hand that we're actually paralysed by doing anything with the technology to start with. We definitely don't use it to the best of our abilities, but there's certain really easy things that we use it for. So we use it for our email newsletters, which we send out twice a month, and we can track who has opened them, what times they opened them and all of that kind of thing. We also use it to send out a birthday reminder for all of our clients. And so every time it's somebody's birthday, an automatic email gets sent out to the client with me holding up a bottle of wine in a photo wishing them a happy birthday. It literally took me 30 minutes to set up that automation with all of the clients imported into our CRM and now I don't need to touch it. And it's really interesting because I got a response from a client who we've worked with for about two years and her response was, thanks so much. And I thought... (laughs) what have I done? I don't even know what I've done. And I had to read the email trail to work out that she was responding to the happy birthday invite. And it just puts a smile on people's faces to go that little bit extra. We also use our social media insights as well. So that gives us a lot of information in terms of when our clients are online, what type of information they're responding to, what kind of posts they're enjoying. So then that helps us with our marketing strategy. So I guess we use our CRM more for bulk content 
to reach out to those people. We segregate all our clients so I can send an email to all of our clients that just use Zero, so that people who don't use that software don't get irrelevant information because I think there's nothing worse than receiving a newsletter and thinking, why is she telling me about Myob? I don't even use Myob. So we cross-section all of our clients and contacts by software and what type of client they are so they can get more of a streamlined newsletter if we need to send them specific information. How hard is it to set up a CRM system? Is it really important and how much do you really have to do with it? Is it important? Yes. I think we need to differentiate ourselves with our clients and provide the extra level of service. And for us, it's a newsletter, especially with all the government changes that are going on at the moment, with updates to superannuation legislation, with updates to government incentives, grants. That's how we get all of that information out to our database of people. Now, that's not just clients. It's also complete randoms. But we don't know when those randoms will potentially become a client. So why don't we give them a little bit of love and a little bit of extra information? Quite often what we get is people come back to us and say, I've got your last newsletter. I really need to talk to you about that. And I was like, perfect. Beforehand, they were not even on our radar. Is it easy to set up a CRM? Yes. Is it easy to use it really well? probably not so easy. But there is help. So I figure if this is not an area that you excel at, put your hand up and get some help. For five or six hundred bucks, you could have someone set up your entire newsletter, have it all set up, import your contacts, and all you need to do is write the content. It probably takes us half an hour to actually create the content and send a newsletter. And I think to send that out to five or six hundred people in one go for half an hour worth it every time. And does anyone ever get annoyed with the extra contact that they might get from a firm like yours? I would definitely say yes. I think with any newsletter, and I know myself, I subscribe to things because at the time they had something I was really interested in. And I forget I subscribe and two or three months later, I get a newsletter and it's not something that I'm interested in. So there'll always be peaks and troughs in your database or your email newsletter subscribers. I don't take it to heart. So Mark, you see a lot of different accounting firms throughout New Zealand and indeed Australia and the United Kingdom. How many of those accounting firms are using a CRM system and how well are they using it? Yeah, that's a really good question, John. I think that Stacey's very much at the front of the wave with the adoption of technology like a CRM. And And I think part of this comes from the fact that Firms that are looking forward and and using the best technology realise that the CRM is so important because you've got to record the the touch points with clients. But look, I I work with hundreds of accounting firms with a gap, and I would say at best there would be 10% of them that would have a CRM and using it properly. And I'd say that those people are probably at the front of the wave themselves. And so I'd, I'd hazard a guess that number of firms that actually have a fully working CRM is probably more like 5% or less. And I think the reason for this is that a lot of accounting firms, they have so much repeat business that they're worrying about workflow. And so they're not so worried about the the contact points or the touch points with their clients. So they might use a document management system to, to track information that they're sending out to their clients, uh, but they're not thinking about, okay, here's an opportunity it's a project that I could do. I'm going to track that through the sales pipeline, right through from suspect or lead to prospective client. 
the conversations we've had, the number of emails they've opened from us, the engagements that we've had with them on the phone or by email, and then them becoming a client and then how we've tracked those through. And what I'm also seeing is some of the firms that are really getting involved in the advisory space, they're tacking on a CRM. So something like pipe drive or something like that relatively inexpensive as opposed to a full-blown system like uh, Salesforce or HubSpot, which is a pretty significant investment. And then they're tracking projects through there. But then there's a disconnect with their software that they're using that has the client details in there that they might be doing their annual accounts and the um, communication to clients. And so they end up with two or three different sources of truth. So they've got to maintain data about clients in two or three different places and that gets messy and it gets out of date very quickly and it's certainly very inefficient. I think what Stacey's doing is what I would call best practice front of the wave and very much what the modern accountant now needs to have to stay connected with their prospects and their clients and to do that in a way where they have that one source of truth. Yeah, so if we're talking about being there for the client and I guess going through that whole cycle with them of engaging them with the business, working with them one-on-one, trying to keep track of all the different things that we might start to do for them that just is more than the annual accounts, we quite often become more than just that professional advisor talking about tax and those sorts of things and perhaps become more of a life advisor or a counsellor sometimes depending on what's going on in their lives. Stacey, how are you dealing with that first of all and do you feel that you have moved closer to your clients over time as you've developed more and more into the niche area that you're in right now? Yeah, I think it does definitely help with time and the relationship with the clients. But in saying that very early on in my business, I had a client who again reached out on social media. She was an interior designer and I met up with her at a cafe to have a coffee and chat. She wasn't using accounting software at the time. Her business was quite new and she wanted to do some budgets and projections for the next 12 months. And we literally had one meeting. And it went for about two hours. We chatted kids and and work and everything else that comes with it. And literally a month or two later, she rang me and said, my husband's just walked out. Now, I don't know how many people would have that conversation with someone they've met once. We didn't have an ongoing working relationship at that time. She hadn't booked in for any more meetings, but we did have a really good meeting the first time around. And I think it just really showed me that we're not just doing numbers. There's a whole lot of other stuff that go on in people's lives that we are privy to at some stage. I've had clients have sick children that need hospital operations and so they need to understand how to manage their business. And again, I wouldn't normally expect someone to tell me that close information. They tell me because they know that I'll be able to help them understand what it means in terms of their business. But I want to emphasise I have no psychology skills. I am an accountant. I'm a very one plus one equals two. It's black or it's white. There's no gray. So it's very hard to deal with people's emotions as an accountant. It's not something we are taught at university. We do an ethics module, but is it right or wrong? And that's the only touchy-feely subject that we do. But in terms of dealing with clients' emotions, I think it's something that is probably new to most of us. And I guess when there's a pandemic or sickness or family issues, the way that I deal with it is that I'm human and I can relate to another human being and think if that was me, what advice or what support would I need? 
I think over time as I've gotten to know clients really well and quite often we'll catch up with clients for no other reason than just to catch up. Like we're not discussing work, we're not discussing a tax return, we're not discussing bass. It's to catch up and go, how are you? How are the kids? Sometimes you just need to be there and just listen. So it's moving away from that advisory role into that mentor and confidant sort of a role, isn't it? Sometimes they don't ring me because I'm an accountant. They ring me because they know that I have some life experience, that I know that they might be able to relate to their situation and can be a sounding board. Most times we can't physically help in certain areas, but we can provide guidance or resources that they perhaps need. And what a wonderful way to finish, Mark. Stacey, thank you so much for joining us here today. There's been plenty of takeouts for, I'm sure, everyone that's been listening. I really appreciate the time that you've given up to share with us your experiences and the great work that you've both been doing in the accounting industry. Thanks so much, John. It's been a pleasure. So that's a wrap for this episode of Small Firm Big Impact. If you'd like to continue the conversation further, then please visit the CA Catalyst community group in MyCA, where both myself and our guests will seek to answer your burning issues that you might have in regard to this episode. Don't forget, there's also some really fantastic resources that your membership with CA ANZ gives you access to. Head to the CA Catalyst section on the CA ANZ website where you can find practical resources like case studies and playbooks. Also, on the website, you'll find the library and the tools and resources hub with plenty of practical information and great insights to support you in practice. And lastly, my personal favourite, LinkedIn Learning, which is free for CAs and can be tailored to your personal learning needs. This has been Small Firm, Big Impact. I'm John Skoll. Speak with you again soon.